0: On this episode of Narcissist Apocalypse, we talk with an abuse survivor named Hazel. And Hazel was in a toxic relationship with a controlling abuser. It's a story of suicide threats, being held against your will, financial abuse, and victim-blaming police officers. Welcome to Narcissist Apocalypse, everyone. And this is a podcast that gives a voice to survivors of toxic relationships. I am Brandon Chadwick, but my friends call me Chad. And thanks for tuning into this episode. So, what is a narcissist, you may ask? Well, for the purposes of this podcast, we refer to a narcissist as anyone who has displayed a pattern of behavior that shows a limited capacity to appreciate others' perspectives. It is that simple. And now, before we get to our episode with Hazel, I first want to thank everyone in the Narcissist Apocalypse community for listening to the show and sharing your thoughts by email, Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook. Also, a reminder, if you have not left us a review on whatever podcast service you use, Spotify, Apple, Google, Stitcher, CastBots, etc., etc., please leave us a five-star written review as it helps out the show a lot when it comes to rankings. Now, if you have not been to our website recently at NarcissistApocalypse.com and you want to be a guest on our show, go to NarcissistApocalypse.com. Top of the page, there's a button there that should say guest form. We have to scroll around a little bit, but it is up there. might be in the click-down menu. Click on that button, fill out the guest form, send it our way, and we will go from there. Another way to be on our show is to be on our letters to our Narcissist Compilation episode. And also at our website, NarcissistApocalypse.com. On the side of the page, there's a button there that says, Send Voicemail. It's a floating button. Press that button. Records up to five minutes. Need to press it twice. Records up to ten. We are accumulating these letters for a volume six of our letters to my Narcissist Compilation episode. And if you do not want to read the letter yourself and want me or my old pal Melissa to to read it for you, please send us an email at NarcissistApocalypse at gmail.com and put letters to my narcissist in the subject line. Other things at our website, NarcissistApocalypse.com. We have high conflict parenting courses at NarcissistApocalypse.com slash courses. Yes, we have partnered with an online parenting company called Online Parenting and many of the courses we're offering were created by Bill Eddy. And Bill Eddy is an expert In dealing with these individuals in court, now he's helped create many parenting courses to help you through divorce and to help support your children too. These courses are the most widely recognized courses by family courts across the country. So if you want to support the show and are looking for guidance, please do go to NarcissistApocalypse.com slash courses. What else do we have uh, that that can help support our show? What? A Patreon, everyone? We have a Patreon? Yes, that is true. We have a Patreon. And on our Patreon... We have episodes that never made it to air, follow-up episodes with former guests, and much more. What is that much more? Well, we have virtual support groups every Wednesday and Saturday, and we also now have our own forum, forum board that looks and feels like a Facebook forum where we can all communicate with each other. Everyone on Patreon is on there. I'm on there. We're having a good time. We're helping each other. And if you want to support our show in a way, uh, you know, helps us out, makes our show free, Patreon.com slash Apocalypse. Become a patron of our Patreon. And thank you in advance for doing so. And the last thing, our episode here with Hazel. This episode is a really interesting episode, especially for people who are, have never experienced this type of abuse before. And you always have the question of why do people stay? I think this episode really puts it out there. Hazel does a very good job of explaining everything I do want to put out a trigger warning. There is a graphic uh, discussion of violence in this episode. There's also a little bit of uh, sexual abuse, graphic conversation. We talk about disassociation uh, in this episode. This may be very difficult for people to hear. Um, and I just wanted to put that out there. So that's our, our trigger warning. We're also going to have it in the notes uh, in our, in the sh- for the show. Uh, trigger warning for theirs So this uh, episode is educational, but at the same time, uh, it may be difficult to listen to. You may, you know, uh, get triggered in a, in a very big way, uh, because even, uh, Hazel during this episode did get triggered herself. We had to take a break, uh, halfway through and we had to start up again. So that is a big warning for everyone. And now, uh, without further ado, uh, here is my episode with Hazel. Welcome to Narcissist Apocalypse, everyone. With me today, I have Hazel. How are you?
1: I'm okay. How are you?
0: I'm doing well, and thank you for meeting me uh, online or however, whatever this is considered uh, this early in the morning. I, I appreciate it. I appreciate you being here, and you're about to tell a story of your second relationship because you had one uh, before with a covert narcissist and now this one we're going to tell is about the overt narcissist and I know your story is going to help a lot of people so I just want to thank you from the bottom of my heart for being here and sharing your story I know you're nervous and we're going to try and just make you unnervous I don't know (laughs) how but we're going to do it and you're just you're gonna do great. So uh, thank you for being here, Hazel. And without further ado, Hazel, the floor is now yours.
1: Oh well, thank you for having me on your show, and I do hope that it helps at least one person out there in some way or another. So, <clears throat> so my I'll just tell you my personality type that I've been all my life, without going into my entire childhood and all that. I've just always been a very um, empathic person and a people pleaser, uh, very trusting and gullible when it comes to people, just always trying to see the good in everyone. Um, I wouldn't say I'm an optimist, but as far as people, it's like if it's someone that's in pain, I can feel their pain you know, if it's someone who's had trauma in their life, I can immediately feel it when I get around them. So I've always been this person. And to be honest with you, looking back through my self-healing, I see that all my life, literally, I've been swarmed by narcissistic types and even sociopathic types. They're just drawn to me. And it's come to the point where I'm a complete hermit now. <laughs> but anyway, so getting on to the story. I was coming out of my 13-year marriage with my second husband and um he was a covert narcissist. And so for several years at the end of the marriage, like the last 6 years at least, if not more, um He was very just cold, unemotional. He didn't speak to me hardly ever. Um, You know, there was, you know, minimal sex. um, And when there was, it was very like robotic. It was unemotional, you know, and he like couldn't stand to hold hands or kiss or cuddle or, you know, sit next to each other on the couch or like he didn't. Anyway, long story short, I was completely lonely and love starved. I had been a stay-at-home mother of four for 13 years. Well, more than that, because I had two kids prior to marrying him. So um, I actually was a stay-at-home wife and mother for many, many years. So I really didn't have a social life. I rarely went out, if once a year, if that. Uh, We never had date nights or anything like that. I really didn't have, I maybe had a couple friends and then a couple old friends that I had grown up with years ago that were um, living in other states, but we were still friends. We would talk on the phone and stuff. So my life was really just, you know, my husband and my kids, you know, cooking, homework, you know, school meetings, chores, just very mundane, and I was very neglected by my husband, and I was basically love-starved in every sense. I mean, I was just, and I put up with it because I thought, well, you know, he doesn't drink and smoke or gamble or cheat, so I thought, anyway... (laughs) Come to find out, he was having an affair, and this was the husband, the covert narcissist. And so, therefore, I was in the process of a divorce. Um, It had been, we had already been broken up for six months going through our divorce, but he was still living in the home because he was looking for a new house to buy for him and his new girl. So... I was at a very rock-bottom low point. Like, I had just lost 30 pounds in 30 days just without trying. I was so depressed. I couldn't sleep. I couldn't eat. And so people that I would talk to said, well, you've got to get out of the house, you know. You've been a stay-at-home mom for so long. You need to start reaching out, making friends. So his sister came to visit me and cheer me up and she said okay we're going out dancing that's it you're not going to sit here crying anymore you know your marriage is done you've got to just get out and live life so she took me out dancing and that was the night that I met um the overt narcissist
0: (laughs) So, and so my- sorry. So, I just want to interrupt. So, right here, you went from uh, one relationship, and then you bounced right into another. At least you met this person right away, and um, were really unaware of narcissism, uh, high conflict people. Uh, you know, going into this, there was kind of like no research done. You're just like, my first husband is just you know, this didn't work. He's an asshole. And now I'm going and, you know, moving on.
1: Right, right. And I was, I was in the divorce process and, but my husband or ex-husband soon to be was, he was in a full relationship and we had been going through the divorce for, oh, I think three, four months at that point. Um, and I was already just devastated, heartbroken. My marriage was over. Um, he was already looking for a new place with his new girl. And I didn't know anything about narcissism or anything like that. I was—I w- didn't know anything about the modern dating scene or red flags. I was just this person who'd been stay-at-home mom and wife for so many years. And literally totally stupid and naive to be honest with you. Just so stupid and I was at my most vulnerable point in my life to where I was just starved for any form of affection. And so I was just at rock bottom. So she took me out dancing that night. <coughs> Excuse me. <coughs> and uh so he he was um he had initially um, said hello to me, I guess he knew some girl that um, her and I were just chit-chatting with there at the dance place. And so he, I was introduced to him, and I didn't think anything of it. I just smiled, shook his hand and then walked off with my sister-in-law. And then he approached me later, and he was just being really you know, smiling and charming. And he was very handsome. But at that point, I didn't have anything in my mind like looking for anyone. I was just trying to get out of the house and, you know, forget about my depression. So he asked for my phone number and we were, you know, having a conversation. And then he asked me to dance on the dance floor. And he was just, very flirty and very, you know, charming and all smiles and complimenting and, you know, oh, I love your outfit. Oh, you look great. You know, just all these compliments. And I was used to just insult, you know. So it was nice. And then, so I gave him my phone number and as soon as we left the place around midnight, he just instantly started blowing up my phone. Now, I had just got a cell phone for the first time in my life. I mean, that's just how I was out of the game of being social or anything. I had just got a cell phone. And he literally called and texted me like 15 to 20 times just right after we were leaving just saying, oh, I want to see you, I can't wait to see you, when are we going to meet up, you know, can I come over to your house right now, and just, you know, I was like, whoa, okay, wow, he must really like me. I knew nothing about uh, overt narcissists, like, as far as dating them, so I was just like, "Uh, no, you know, you can't come over. I live with my soon-to-be ex-husband, you know, and my children. It's it's a family home. It's not, you know, I don't hook up with people like that. So he kept calling and texting uh, over the next couple weeks, asking me out, asking me out, asking me out. So finally, you know, I thought, well, you know, maybe I should go on a date. You know, I mean, I'm almost, the divorce is almost final here in another month or two. You know, maybe I should just, you know, because I need to go and enjoy my life, too. And when I'm sitting home, I'm just crying and, you know, it's just not healthy. So I finally agreed to go out with him. And he, you know, instantly began what they call the love bombing stage. So he just wanted to hold hands. He wanted to you know, put his arm around me. He kept telling me how beautiful I was, how sexy I was, how cool I was. It just like no one has ever complimented me that much in my life. And I didn't realize, like, I figured he was a player and I wasn't looking for any relationship by any means. So I figured if anything maybe we would just date or it would just be a fling just to get my mind off things, you know. I certainly didn't think it was going to be any sort of committed relationship, and he came off as, you know, a bit of a player. So I I knew that it wasn't going to be some big faithful commitment long-term relationship, okay? So I knew that much. So he really laid on the love bombing really thick and he was very affectionate like in a way that my husband never was like he we had to be holding hands and sitting right next to each other at all times constant hugs and kisses which I loved and I was starved for it constant compliments like all day long oh my god you're so sexy I can't believe how sexy you are you've got to be one of the sexiest women, you turn me on so much, just constantly. And I was like, wow, like it was really boosting my confidence for the first time in many years. I have to say it really was boosting my confidence. I was like, wow, maybe I am really sexy, you know. (laughs) I'm like, gosh, my husband sure didn't see that. Wow. And then it was contagious because my husband, well, soon to be ex, back at home started noticing that I was more confident and he was starting to flirt with me, which I totally rejected because I thought, Oh yeah, you see, I'm getting a little attention now. And all of a sudden you're treating me like I exist and we're almost divorced and, and you know, you're already moving on with your new teenage girl. No, you know, so I totally just ignored him. But, uh, so instantly, after we were only dating for a couple weeks, um, he started talking about me moving in with him. now, to give you a little story on his situation in life, he was on the down and out. Now, here were the red flags that I ignored, or I thought it was like a broken puppy that I could help fix. He had gotten out of jail uh, He claimed that it was because he was pulled over driving with a suspended license, and so he did three months in jail or something. I don't know. So he had gotten out of jail, and he didn't have a driver's license, and so he was kind of starting to get on his feet. So he had moved into this really crappy trailer that someone just let him move in for free that had no water and electricity. And they told him he could live there free if he fixed it up. So I was getting ready to get some tax returns at that time. And good-hearted me, not to blow my own whistle, but, I mean, I offered, well, you know, I know you're down and out, you know. I'll help you to get your electricity turned on. Because he didn't have any credit and he couldn't put it in his name. And all this other stuff and I'll help you to get the water pipes fixed and, you know, I'll help you to fix up the trailer and clean it up and I'll bring you some paint, you know. And I was like, I've always been that way, you know, and he was really playing on my sympathy because I'm a very soft-hearted person and I really, I, I like helping people, you know. And so I ended up spending, like, $1,500 out of my tax return on helping him to get his electricity on because he had to make a really big deposit because of his bad credit and and helping him to um, buy parts, fix the water pipes and all this stuff and paint for the trailer. And, uh, oh, and I paid – he had to pay off, like – worth of court fees in order to get his driver's license back and then that cost more money to get the license. So I ended up paying for that too because he said, well, I can't get a job if I don't have a license and just all this stuff, you know. So I ended up like pouring a lot of money into helping him within the first month or so. Like, And he just kept flattering me, and he was already saying, I'm falling in love with you. You're the kindest, sweetest, most sexiest, funnest, nicest, coolest person I've ever met. No one has ever been so kind to me in my whole life. And then he started telling me about his horrible childhood, which further kind of bonded me to him because I felt so sorry for him. He was molested when he was seven years old, and his parents were crackheads, you know, and his mother used to beat him up and lock him in a room. Like, if he did something bad, she would lock him in his room for, like, a whole month and give him nothing but Top Ramen. Like, these were the things he was telling me, and I know a lot of it was true. I'll get into that later when I met his family, but I just felt so sorry for him. I mean, he kept telling me, oh, you're the only real person I've ever met that really, really has a heart and really has tried to help me. And, like, he made me feel like I was really doing the right thing, that I was really helping someone, making a difference in his life, you know. So, of course, that way, the person continues to help, right? So, well... Over the course of time, he, you know, he never would pay his electric bill because he had quite a weed habit to the tune of, I don't know how much he spent on it. And he started to, like, you know, try to get me to smoke with him. And over my life, I had been a very rarely, occasionally, I would take a couple puffs of weed if if a friend had some. But like I said, I wasn't really... I was like a housewife. I I didn't really go anywhere. I really didn't have a social life. So things like drinking and smoking were just a rare occasion for me. And um, he would get angry if I didn't smoke with him. He would start to get really angry, like um, really angry and scary. And so, you know, I would take a couple puffs just to get him to shut up and which right there I was compromising what I wanted to do just to keep his temper down, you know. So right there that should have been another major red flag. But he was so fun and just always laughing and joking and very boisterous and very always wanting to go to the beach, just the complete opposite of my husband. You know, he was so fun. He always wanted to go do things, go to the springs, you know, go snorkeling, go to the beach, go have a barbecue, you know, go dancing, like all the things that I never got to do with my husband. So, you if, know, for if, me... If,
0: sorry, if there is such as meeting a person uh, for you, the wrong place at the wrong time, this is the guy. He is the perfect yeah. opposite of of what your husband was, and he's... Bed into your natural empathy, into uh, your wanting to fix people, and then also playing uh, the victim uh, for for that as well to kind of draw you in further. And he's fun. He's the absolute opposite of Uh your uh, ex. And because of all of these things, all of these blind spots... Uh, are created because your blinders have kind of put on because of that attention that you're getting that you never did before. Yeah, and, and now with all the fixing, the deeper you get into like the fixing, the more they're like, Oh, I need more. The harder it is to say no. Yes, And you know, maybe originally right off the bat, you could be like, nah, and you have a boundary, but the more in a way, the more you give, the more, you know you can't The say, more you, no. get. yeah, you just it, it <laughs> at that point, it's just like well, you did it before, now it's expected of you,
1: uh-huh,
0: and if I don't do it now, both- the rage might happen,
1: yes, and he was also playing on the fact that I was so lonely and love starved that hmm. too, with all the affection and stuff, so he really hit the jackpot when he met me as a source of supply. I'm sure you've heard that term. And I thought that he was the perfect distraction for my depression and to help me move on, right? So I'd say within a month, his dark side began to emerge. Now, I was heavily hooked in already within a month. He had really got the hooks in me. And he was begging me to move in with him, which I said, no, you know, no, I have kids. I'm not going to move out. Uh, you know, I'm I'm always going to live with my kids. And then he begged to move into my house. And I said, well, my ex-husband is not, you know, he's still looking for a home for him and his girlfriend. So technically, he's still staying there and all his stuff is there. Like, no, I don't want to live with anyone anyway. I'm not ready to plunge into you know, a living situation at this point. It's way too soon. And he would become enraged, you know, and he would accuse me of still being in love with my ex and so he talked me into coming and spending one week over at his trailer because my ex and I, um, we had we were taking turns with the kids, you know, one week on, one week off that type thing. So I agreed to go and stay with him for the week. And I just brought like a duffel bag, you know, and I was gonna stay for five days. And so when it during that time, you know, I was helping him to clean up the trailer and paint a couple of the rooms and, you know, fix things up and helped him to go find a good some furniture at a thrift shop, stuff like that. And then um, he started to show his anger that week. That was the first time he was showing his dark side. He's like, why are you always cleaning my house? And, you know, who do you think you are? This is my house. Why are you in here just going through things and cleaning up? And he started getting mad, and I said, well, I'm just trying to help you. I said, first off, you wanted me to move in. I said, so, and you asked me to help you fix the place up. Anyway, so that was the first little taste of his anger. And then when it came time for me to leave, and here's where his real dark side came out. When it was time for me to leave after the five days, he would not give me my cell phone, my car keys, And I said, look. It's Sunday, and my kids have school in the morning, and I have to be there. I I agreed to stay for five days, and that's it. I have to go home. And he just turned. It was like Jekyll and Hyde. He just turned into, like, a demonic being. Like, in his eyes, they just switched. It was so scary. And he would not let me leave. And I didn't know how to get away. And he did not give me my phone or my keys and mind you this trailer was a little bit off the beaten path it was like on a dirt road kind of in the outskirts of of the town so it was not a place where i could just you know walk into a store and use the phone you know what i mean it was kind of like away from town a bit so he he would control like he just wouldn't give me my phone And I was, like, crying, and if I would cry, like, for him to let me leave, you know, he would just start screaming and threatening me. And at one point, he, you know, he got out a baseball bat and raised it to me, and he was like, you just want to go back to your husband. You want to go, you know, have sex with him and all this. And I'm like, no, I have children. They have school. I need to leave. This was the agreement that I would come stay with you for five days, you know. And I'm crying and I'm like huddled in a ball because I'm so scared and I don't know how to get away from him. And so he held me there basically for three more days. And my my chickens at my house, they ended up dying because no one was there. To lock up the coop, and my ex-husband was mad, so he wouldn't do it. It was like, there's been so many repercussions of just that two years dating this crazy guy. Um, Still to this day, there are repercussions, but I'll get into that later. So he did not let me leave for three more days. um, And how I got away was, so I called my soon-to-be ex-husband. And I quickly told him, I said, look, I'm trying. He said, where have you been? You know, what's going on? And I said, I need you to come and pick me up. I said, because I'm really scared. And he said, do you want me to call the police? And I said, no, I'm scared to call the police because if he thinks I called police, no telling what he'll do. I had called him from a bathroom in a convenience store and he ended up calling the police, sending them. He asked for the address and ended up sending the police. And when the police came down the road that evening, um, the narcissist immediately looked at me and said, did you call the police? And I said, no, I I just played dumb. I'm like, I don't know where where they came from. So the police, now this is going to be, this has happened like five times. Whenever I tried to get help from the police, They were so mean to me. They never believed me. They never helped me. They always listened to him. Never did I get any help from the law. And what happened was it was two female police, and they were so mean to me. They came and pulled up, and he said, you go out and talk to them because I don't know who called them or why they're here. I'm not talking to them, so you better go deal with it. So I walked out and he was listening right at the door and they were right in front of the front of the trailer. So like he could hear everything being said and they said, yes, uh, your uh, husband called us to come out here and said you're being held hostage and they just said it out loud to where he could hear and I said, "Uh," and I and he was peeking through the crack of the door and I was so terrified. My heart was racing, and I said, um, uh, I don't know. I didn't know why he called police. I'm not sure, and she said, ma'am, if you are lying to me, I will take you to jail right now for wasting our time, and she threatened to arrest me, and I said, ma'am, I didn't call police, and I'm... I don't know why he called police because I was too scared. I didn't know what to do. I was literally like my heart was racing. I felt like if I said anything, he was going to try to, you know, go crazy. And Lord knows what he would do. I was just terrified. And so they were threatening to arrest me. And I assured them that everything was okay. And many women do this in this situation, and it's because they're terrified. And so finally they went away, and I smoothed things over with him. I said, man, I don't know. I don't know why he called police. Maybe because I'm not home on time. I don't know. And I tried to just play it off like I knew nothing about it. So then the next day is when the neighbor had the dirt bikes, and that was my chance to get away. So then he had gone to the store, and I called And I called my, uh, and I said, why did you send police? I told you not to do that. I said, can you just pick me up? I'll meet you down this dirt road, you know. And I said, please, just pick me up. You don't understand what's going on. I can't explain it. And so he said, fine, you know. I told you not to talk to him. You know, you're just being stupid. So he came to pick me up, and I got away while the narcissist was at the store. So as soon as I got back home, He was, I didn't have my phone, that's right, he had it. Anyway, I don't want to get into too much little technical details, but um, so then uh, somehow I guess he called me on the home phone or maybe it was Facebook that he contacted me. And we spoke on the phone and he was just sobbing. And crying like I've never heard a grown man sob and cry that hard. And he was like, I'm going to kill myself. You're the only person that's ever loved me. And I'm so sorry. I just have issues from my childhood. And I'll do anything to get you back. And I'm so sorry. I was just afraid that you were going to leave me like everyone has always done, you know. And I just felt so horrible. Like, oh, this Poor broken man, you know. I feel so sorry for him, you know, and I don't want him to like hurt himself, you know. So, stupid, gullible me, I gave him another chance after that, like a week and a half later. So, we started to see each other again, but this time, you know, I told him I'm not going to be staying, you know for any couple days over at your place. So he wanted me to go meet his family. And this was like only a month and a half in. He's like, I really am falling in love with you. I really want you to meet my family. And I said, well, I thought you weren't on good terms with your family, you know. After all these horror stories about your childhood, you really want to go visit them? And he said, yeah, you know, I'd like to repair things with my mom and They're having a big barbecue this weekend, and they invited me to come and spend the night out there and have a big barbecue, and I really want you to meet them and go with me. So I was like, okay, yeah, I guess that sounds fun. So we go, and, you know, immediately there's red flags. I can see that his family is so dysfunctional. Like, they're all just... Weed smokers, alcoholics, you know, they live in a dump. His mother is just, like, really loud and controlling and um, abrasive, that's the word. And just, I could see, like, yeah, he's got issues. This family is, you know, off. (laughs) And so I was kind of uncomfortable, and I'm like, oh, I wish I didn't come. And then his mother took me aside when we went to the store to get the meat for the barbecue. And she said, I'm just letting you know, since I understand you have kids, uh, she said that he had molested his little brother when when he was, I guess he was 12 and his little brother was seven. And she said, so you need to know that. And I was like, whoa. And when we got back from the store, he was staring at me with that evil look in his eyes. And he says, what did my mother tell you? And he was, like, acting really dark. And I'm like, oh, my God, what situation did I get myself into? And so I said, oh, she didn't. I played the whole thing off. She didn't say anything. And then I waited until we left the next morning. And so on the drive back, I said, you know, your mother told me that you molested your little brother and this and that. Or no, I waited until I got home to where I wasn't with him face to face because I was afraid he'd blow up. So I told him and I said, um, and he started crying and he broke down and he said, yes, it was true. And he said that it was because when he was seven, that she had left him at a crack house and he was molested by a man uh, when he was seven years old. And he said he did it for revenge toward his mother for putting him in that situation. And he cried and cried and was bawling again like a baby. And he's like, I've always regretted that. I'm so sorry about that. I've already dealt with all that and I've apologized to my family and my younger brother and I have made up and we're friends now and it's all behind me and he said and he said you've got to understand I was a really messed up kid and I was so abused and he said I can't believe you know my mom just she doesn't want to see me happy she doesn't want to see me evolve and And move on and have a good relationship with a nice person like you. She's just trying to destroy us. Now, on a little side note here, I have never and would never, I've never left any of my um, kids ever alone with him. Not even just to run to the store, nothing, ever. And I would never with any man. So just to let the uh, listeners know. (laughs) Okay, so um, now... He then called his mother and he proceeded to cuss her out. This was when I had come over the next day to come visit him and take him some groceries because I was always buying his groceries for him. And um, he cussed her out and said, you're just trying to turn her against me. And I could hear her on the phone. I think she was on speaker and she said, you better... um, beat the crap out of that girl of yours because she's lying. And do you know that she um she hit she was telling him that I hit on her and that I was flirting with his other brother behind his back when I was there. And that I showed my underwear to his bro- like she just made up this off the wall stuff to try to deflect his anger toward me and off of her. And I'm sitting there like, oh my God, his family really is crazy. And so when he hung up the phone with her, he said, did you flirt with my brother and my mother? Did you show him your underwear? And I said to him, listen to me, you've seen my personality. How shy and humble am I? Do you see me as the outgoing, flirty type or the sneaky type? Like, honestly, think about it and think about your mother. Use your common sense. And he actually finally realized that, yes, his mother was lying and trying to turn his anger toward me instead of her. So so then we finally talked that whole situation over. And at this point, I was starting my My body was starting to give me red flags around him. Like every time I would go around him, I would get nauseous. I would get dizzy. I would feel faint. I would feel fatigued. And this was the beginning of what ended up being my chronic fatigue and autoimmune. Like all the stress of all this and the divorce and everything caused ongoing health problems for me to this day. I'm still trying to heal from it. So, and it's been six years since it's been over with him. I've been celibate this whole time and probably will be for the rest of my life here on Earth. Anyway, so I realized his whole family are loony bins and I felt incredibly sorry for him. Now, mind you, in between these, Jekyll and Hyde episodes, he continued the love bombing. That was always there um, between the switches. But he did begin to get, show me more and more of his dark side. And it was the devaluing, um, but it was more like, you know, in other words, if I would go home, because he took the money that I gave him to fix his water pipes and he spent it on weed. And so if I and then I gave him more to fix it again, and he spent it on weed. And so if I would go to my house and for a few days I wouldn't see him, because we would only get together like a few times a week. And because um, you know I had kids, and even that was a stretch for me. So if I would go home and put on clean clothes and take a shower and come back, you know, with my hair washed, you know, as people do. He would get so enraged and mad, like, who do you think you are? You think you're better than me because you're all fresh and clean and clean clothes on. And so one day, he got so mad about it that I had come back. We had been arguing the time before, which was quite typical, Um, because we would hang out for a couple days, like for the weekend, And toward the last day, when he would know that I would be leaving, he would turn into a monster. And there were several times that he held me hostage without giving me my keys and phone um, a handful of times. But this time, um, he had gotten a job welding. And um, so we had gotten in an argument a few days prior, so I hadn't seen him for a few days. And he begged me, you know, Please, you know, just come see me. I love you so much. I'm so sorry. You know, we'll go have fun. We'll go to the beach. I'm just getting my paycheck. You know, I want to spend it all with you and go have a nice time. You don't have the kids this weekend. So let's just, you know, forget about all the arguing and go have a great time. And so, of course, I fell for it. So when I came, uh, he asked me to come pick him up at work. And, of course, he was really tired and sweaty from working, doing welding all day. And so when I got there, I had showered and washed my hair, and I had on clean clothes because I was going to spend the night. And he got in my van, and he said, Oh, I see you have on a clean, nice outfit. And, oh, you've curled your hair. Wow. And he's like, You don't see that. I can't even get a shower, and I don't even have a washing machine to wash my clothes. And he just started strangling me. He just started strangling me. And his coworkers, it was raining, so they couldn't see inside my van because it was raining really hard. And I I just thought, is this the end? Is this how I'm going to die, just right here in my van? And he was just like choking me. And then he finally let go before I passed out. I didn't pass out. He let go before that. Oh my gosh, I'm getting a dizzy flash just remembering that. This is crazy. I'm getting lightheaded. Wow. Okay. Take a breather. Take your time. So. So then I was terrified. He snatched my keys. And he snatched my phone, and he said, "I'm driving, you know, get in, get in the passenger seat." And then he said, "You're not getting your keys back. I'm in charge." And so we went back to his trailer, and I was terrified. And I I was like, "Oh no, not again! Please, no, no, no!" He's turning into Jekyll, you know. He's I was just like, um, or what was it, Hyde? I don't know which one it is. Anyway, he's turning into his evil side. And so we get back to the trailer, and I'm trying so hard to just smooth things over because I don't, I can't, when he gets like that, there's no reasoning with him. There's no reasoning. You cannot apologize. You can't try to logically talk talk your way through it. You can't argue with him or he'll get escalated and you can't stonewall him and just sit there silent either, or he will escalate. So there's literally, you're stuck in a situation where you have to take the abuse until he wears himself out. So we get back to the trailer and he demands sex. And that's another thing I could never, ever say no to that ever, ever. Even if I was There was times when I was sick with the flu, throwing up a couple times where I had the flu and I was very, very sick. And he would still make me have sex. And so we got back to the trailer. He demanded sex. And then after that, he starts questioning me about my ex-husband. I think at this point the divorce was already final, I think. Anyway, he starts questioning me about have you and him ever done this or that? And I was like, you know, how am I supposed to answer this? He's going to get mad no matter what I say, you know? And he was like pressuring and pressuring me for like, oh, almost two hours, just questioning me about whatever we've ever done in the bedroom, right? And then at the end of it, he's just getting angrier and angrier. And he just takes his two fingers and jabs me in the eyes with them. And it hurt so bad. I was—I thought my eyes were going to be bleeding. And I was just seeing stars, and I couldn't open my eyes, and I was just crying. And he was just calling me a bitch. And, like, this was the major devaluing stage when he would get like this. And he was just calling me every name in the book. He didn't care that he had just hurt my eyes really bad. And mind you, soon after that, I had to start wearing glasses. I don't know if it had to do with that or not. (sighs) It's hard to talk about. So, So anyway, I had to try so hard to smooth things over so that he would calm down. And then he demanded sex again right after that as I was in pain. It was so humiliating. And I and he wasn't satisfied with just sex. I had to pretend to like it. Or he would get very enraged. And so, like, even if I was totally broken and crying and hurting, I had to pretend to get into the mood. Like, that is such dissociation in your mind. Like, it really does a mind F-U-C-K with your head. Like, it really does to have to dissociate And while you're ignore your own pain and trauma and try to act like you're in the mood for sleeping with this evil creep that you just don't want touching you, you know, it's really hard to do. It's definitely you have to put on an act. Yeah. You have to. It's for survival because otherwise he would just, you know, become enraged all over again. And some of these rages would last for hours and hours. There were times that he would rage at me. Um, Even if he didn't hit me or anything, there were times he would rage at me until the sun came up and just wear me down. And, And there was nothing I could do, and he wouldn't let me leave. And then after these rages, he would totally calm down and turn into the most sweetest, loving guy. And he would want to make love, you know, and it was just completely insane. And now, mind you, every one of the people I knew at by this point, every person in my life, um, old friends from California that I would talk to on the phone, as well as a couple friends I knew um, here in my town, And as well as family members. And these were old friends, best friends that I'd known since my teenage years. Every single person in my life completely abandoned me during this time. Just completely ghosted me. And I think, I don't know if it was from the drama of what I was going through and they just thought I was being stupid by continuing to see him. I'm assuming that had stuff to do with it, obviously. But to this day, they still don't talk to me. To this day, my two older sons still hate me from the damage this man caused. They still hate me, and that's so heartbreaking. And no matter what I do to apologize and try to explain what mental state I was in and how I was being manipulated, they just can't forgive me, and they just think I'm the stupidest woman in the world. They don't respect me. My oldest son wants nothing to do with me. And I was, as a mother all those years, I was a very hands-on, devoted mother, always there for my kids. Just, you know, I was not, I didn't abuse my kids. I didn't go out drinking. I wasn't the mom that was out at the club or, you know, always busy with her own social life and beauty parlor. I wasn't like that. I was a very hands-on, dedicated mother and wife. That's really, not to toot my own horn, but that really is how I was. And they were, my kids and my relationship was always good until this. But mind you, that was also the same time as, you know, the tail end of the divorce. So they were going through a lot and then seeing mom with this crazy guy, although he did not live with us or anything like that. Anyway, so his rages, so this particular time, that I was speaking of after the day he tried to strangle me. He had taken my phone and keys and my kids, because I was going through the very tail end of my divorce and it had just finalized um, and my ex-husband was now um, in the process of moving out with his new teenage girlfriend and, um, And so my aunt had offered to take the kids for a few weeks because she has a big house with a pool and, you know, she lives in another state. But she said, I know you're going through a lot of trauma right now. You're really depressed and it's summertime, you know. So she said, why don't you let the kids come visit me for a few weeks? They can just get away from, you know, the stress. And I had never been away from my kids for longer than just the times when he held me at his house against my will, really, um, just for a few days or five days or something. And so I agreed because I trust my aunt and she's, you know, very good with kids. So so during that time um, is when my kids were with her. And so he wasn't letting me leave and he had had me there and he knew that I didn't have I only had an overnight bag that's all I had had with me because I was just going to spend one night and that was it and he would not let me leave um, he was spending all my money um, what what amount of cash that I had on hand he was demanding it for his weed and um, he was just driving my van all around wherever he wanted to go and picking up friends and this and that. And he would not give me my phone or my keys. And so I was trying to plan my escape. I was like, how am I going to get away from this? What am I going to do? Because he would leave me no opportunity. For example, if we would stop at the store, he would be right there with me, you know, and he would not give me my phone. He would literally watch me like a hawk. He wouldn't let me drive. He was in charge of driving everywhere. You know, he had my wallet. He was spending my money. And so basically, and all I had was an overnight bag. So after like five days, I was getting very tattered looking and very dirty because mind you, there was no water at his trailer. Like we had to fill up buckets from the neighbors because all the money I gave him, he still never fixed the water pipes, even with his welding job. And so I began to look very tattered and because he was also raging at me all the time. And it was like, literally, if he would do one rage session is what I call them. Typically, they would last for five hours. I would I could go from looking really nice and attractive and fresh to looking like a worn out old prison woman who was, you know, 60 years old in the space of five hours, that's how much it would affect me. It would just suck all my life force energy out of me completely. I mean, it was just crazy. And so by the end of this five days, he'd had me stuck with him. I looked like this tattered old woman. Like I I just looked horrible, like a shell of myself with dirty clothes and and I was just like, how am I going to get away, you know? I have no one to call anymore. There's, I have no one to help me. And so when I ran out of money, he spent all my money, and he wanted more weed. He forced me to go onto my social media, onto my Facebook, and he was sitting right there with me telling me what to type and send out a mass mail to everyone in my mailbox. On Facebook, everyone, so like 500 people, to send it to everyone in my Facebook that, oh, my car's broken down, and I'm stuck out here in the boonies, and I'm really broke. Can you please just um, send me a Western Union um, because I have no money? And I was so humiliated because I'm not the type that asks people for money. I don't do that, not even my dad, did I ever ask for money? I don't, I just don't ask people for money. And I was so humiliated and he literally, I knew that he would beat me up if I didn't do it. Like he was being very scary and threatening. And so I did it. And some people thought it was a, uh, like a, um, what do you,
0: yeah, one of those, those, one of those like, um, uh, scams. Scam thing. Yeah.
1: Yeah, some people just didn't respond. And then there was a couple people that said, that thought I was being rude and presumptuous and said, oh yeah, no, I can't help you, sorry. And then there was a few people that actually said they would send me money and that they hope I was okay. And it was just really so humiliating. And so I got a few hundred dollars from like, I think four different people sent money. And he went with me to the Western Union to collect it. And he he spent it. He took it. And um, so finally one day we went to Walmart. I said, let me go grab, I forgot to grab uh, such and such, whatever, soda pop from the back shelf. It was when he was in line, yes. And I said, let me run to the back and grab it real quick. And I just took off to the back of Walmart, and I just walked back in the employee area. And I said, can someone help? I need to use the phone. I have to call the police. And they were looking at me like I was crazy. Like they almost didn't even let me use the phone. Like this is how people treat you when you're in these situations. They literally almost would not let me use their phone. And I said, please, please. I was shaking. I was so terrified. And I said, please let me use your phone. Please, please. I have to. I'm being held hostage. I have to get away. And they just treated me so mean. So mean. Because, mind you, I looked really tattered. And I looked... I didn't look like, oh, this credible person. I just looked horrible because I'd been through the ringer. And, um... So I called police, and the police finally showed up, and I guess they were, the security came, and they were looking at him on the video cameras, and he was like frantically walking through the store looking for me, and he was with a friend too, and they were looking all around Walmart, and it was like a super center, so they were walking all around looking for me, checking the bathrooms, and I was like, oh my God. And they're like, well, maybe you should go wait out front for the police. I'm like, no, 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 no. I have to stay here. Please just just let me stay here. And uh, so the police finally came. And and I was telling them my story, and the police were so mean to me. I'm sorry, are you able to call me back in 10 minutes? I'm feeling really faint all of
0: a sudden. Oh, yeah, no problem. Just, you know, take your time um, and just uh, lie down and... If you don't want to get back on the call, uh, just uh, email me.
1: Okay, just um, give me like 10, 15 minutes. Okay, sure. Just to get some water and take a breather. Okay, no problem. All right, thank you. Okay, so I believe I was talking about when the police came to Walmart. And they were very mean to me, as they always were. Um, Anytime I tried to get their help, they treated me like I was crazy. Uh, They thought my story was just uh, outrageous. It's almost as if they never believed me. And they said, so how are you saying, ma'am, that he's holding you hostage when your vehicle is right outside? And here you are in Walmart walking free. Like, they're treating me like I'm an idiot. And uh, I said, officer, you don't understand what I'm telling you. You know, he's had my keys and my phone, and he will not give them back. And he said, well, why didn't you simply call for help sooner? You know, they're treating me like that. And this is how women who are abused stay in these situations. Some of them are married with kids, and they cannot get help, and everyone has abandoned them because they don't want to be involved in the drama, and they lose everyone in their life, you know? And this happens to so many women, and they're always called stupid, and no one understands. You can't understand it until you've experienced it. And um, so anyway, they went and found him. He was still frantically searching the store, and they questioned him, and he always spins Quite a tale, and they always believed him. He said, oh, officer, she's crazy. Yeah, she has mental problems. He's like, if you know what I mean. Yeah, she's um, she's not all there. He starts telling them, painting the story as if I'm just this crazy woman who's making up a tall tale. He said, we just came here to get some groceries. It's no big deal. She can have her keys back like uh, So, of course, they just got back my keys and phone and he had told them, oh, she just asked me to hold it so she could use the bathroom. You know, he's just making it like, no big deal. She's crazy. She's always just, you know, creating stories and this and that. And they just, they treated me like I was crazy. And so they got my keys back and my phone. And uh, I think the Walmart security guy walked me to my van and so I got away and so I had distanced myself for a couple weeks and he was blowing me up the whole time and I was trying, I would block his number and of course, you know, you just make up another number and keep calling and um, I didn't change my number at that point um, because I finally texted him back. I don't know how he always got me to text him back. He would literally send me like a hundred texts and they would just just begging, just threatening suicide, just, just saying how no one's ever loved him and please, he's going to just hurt himself if I don't just, just talk to him, just give him a chance to explain, just, you know, and I'm the only person he has in his life and no one's ever loved him and he's just so afraid of losing me. And, you know, I'm just playing on my sympathies, you know. And so over the course of a couple weeks that he was blowing me up and threatening to hurt himself. And, you know, when I talk to him on the phone and he cries and, and then then I just feel horrible. And I'm like, well, you know, why did you do that? Why did Why didn't you let me leave? And he said, I'm sorry. I'll never do it again. I just thought you were going to cheat on me. I thought you were just going to leave me and never speak to me again. And you've got to understand, I'm just all messed up because of my childhood. And, you know, he would always bring up his childhood because he knows I love kids, for one thing. So that was a real way to get my sympathy. Anyway, so stupid, stupid, gullible, naive me, I... Gave him another chance after a couple weeks. And needless to say, everyone that we knew mutually, like neighbors or just casual friends that we might go to a barbecue here and there, they all suddenly hated me because he had gone and said, oh, she called the cops on me and this and that. And so now everyone that we knew mutually hated me. And I could feel the vibe when I went around them. So he painted me to the police to be crazy and a liar and painted me to our mutual acquaintances as a bad person, a cop caller, you know.
0: So so really officially here at this spot, you are isolated from your family. You um, have... Uh, whoever was your friend has kind of uh, fallen by the wayside. They've gone away. They want nothing to do with you. They think um, they don't, they have zero comprehension of what you're dealing with, of what domestic violence is um, and the psychological abuse that has occurred and everything there. So you're alone in that aspect. And now you have these mutual friends who, um, have now been turned against you. So here you, right now you are truly alone. You have no one to uh, listen to you. You have no, you have no one who is going to even believe what you say in a way. Um, In the law. And and, and then you, yeah. And you have uh, no, you have nowhere to go. You have zero way to go. And, you know, when he does reel you back in, are you feeling like he's the only person that understands you or are you scared when you go back and you're just you're like,
1: oh, what is the feeling? It is such mixed emotions. It's pity for him. It's fear that he'll try to hurt himself or hurt me. Um, it's, it's fear of him becoming enraged and starting to stalk me. Cause he also did that a few times if I did not speak with him or go to see him. It's also the fact that, you know what, I'm completely alone. Now, I don't have not one person to talk to, not one friend to turn to, not one person to spend time with, not one person that cares, not one person ever even asked me to hear my story or what are the depths of what's really going on. Not one person tried to understand and so I literally when he would then start going back to the love bombing and the I guess you call it hoovering, I would feel like, wow, you know, he he would say that he only has me and I would feel like and at this point I only have him. As messed up as it is, he loves me and he's all the only person in the world that just wants to be with me and wants to be around me and cares to spend time with me and really cares about me. And so it was all these mixed emotions, you know, fear and pity and loneliness and isolating, being isolated from anyone else. And so... So then, at one point, my car broke down. This was when he was trying to get me to come back with him, and he had offered to pay for it to get fixed, if I would just come, you know, see him. And so, he he did. He helped me to pay for it. It was something with the wheel or something anyway. So, now, my, my kids were still at my aunt's house. They were there, I think, for a month that summer. And um, my kids were not uh, little, little kids, but mind you, they were ages 18, 15, 12, and eight. So um, anyway, but, uh, and I also sheltered my kids from knowing the depths of how things were with him because I didn't want it to traumatize my kids. So I didn't really talk to them about it, you know, I tried to kind of cushion them from the reality of what I was going through. Anyway, so my ex-husband had recently finally moved out and he got his new house with his girlfriend and she was pregnant by that point. Um, And so, you know, I was living alone with my kids and the kids um, were back and forth every other week. So he kept trying to pressure me to let him move in, and I was very firm on that boundary. It was always a clear no, no. I, I will not live with anyone. I don't want to live with anyone, and you know I can't have any man living in my house with my kids. I was very. I did have a firm boundary with that. So what he did um, the next time was he. Sp- We were out that day. I think we had gone to the Springs, and we just had a lovely, romantic day. And uh, we had brought um, my two younger kids, my son and my daughter, and it was so fun, and we had a picnic and swam all day, and it was just like this perfect day. And so then it was time to bring him back home, and he said, Oh, baby, you know, can't I just... And he had been on good behavior for a few weeks, and this was when the kids came back. And he said, can't I just uh, just come over and we'll make such a nice dinner and we'll get a movie and just so I could take a shower, you know? I haven't had a hot shower because, you know, at this point, still he didn't spend the money. And he was making decent money as a welder, and still he did not fix his water pipes at the trailer because he would just smoke all his money. And so he said, oh, I just haven't had a nice hot shower in days, and couldn't I just come over and just take a nice hot shower, and we'll make such a lovely dinner, and we'll get a movie and watch it with the kids, and it'll be such a nice evening. And so he talked to me, and I thought, how heartless can you be not even letting him come just to have a hot meal and a hot shower? And, you know, I thought, you can't be so cruel. So I said, okay. And we did. We cooked a nice dinner, and... um, And I noticed he always took his phone to the bathroom and stuff. And so, you know, I figured he was flirting with and texting with other girls. I honestly, nothing surprised me at this point. I didn't, I wasn't that worried about it. But, um, so we had a nice dinner and everything. And then he said, well, you know, it's really getting late, you know, just let me crash here for the night. And, uh. You can drop me off in the morning back at my place. So it was late, and I was tired. I'm like, okay, whatever, you know. So then the next morning, he said, you know, I just have a ton of laundry. And couldn't you just please just take me to go pick up my laundry just so I can come here and get my clothes clean? Baby, I haven't had a clean thing to wear in a couple weeks. I've been working so hard at the welding job. My clothes are just filthy. Please, baby, just take me to pick up my laundry so I can get some clean clothes to wear. And so I'm like, okay, I guess, you know, all right, we can do that. So we go, we all get in the van, we go get, and he's got like two huge jumbo hefty bags filled with dirty laundry. And I'm like, oh, brother. So we get back here, you know, and he's like, you know, of course he has me do the laundry. And he's just relaxed with his feet up on the couch, you know, watching TV, babe, what you cooking for dinner lately? And I'm like, gee, he's starting to get a little comfy here after he wasn't even supposed to spend the night and um so in a way it was like the reverse of holding me hostage again he took my keys he would not leave my house and every time i would go to use my phone he was right there over my shoulder like a hawk who are you calling who are you texting If I was texting someone, he would snatch. Not that I had anyone to text. It was literally like I would be texting my older son or something or just picking up my phone to just look at my email or something like that, and he would just snatch it out of my hand and put it in his pocket because I guess he was afraid I would call police, and he would not leave. So this went on for like three days he was here, and finally on the third day... And all his laundry was done, and everything folded nicely. And I said, you know, it's time for me to take you home now. You know, the kids, uh, I, I need to spend some time with them. And here his face changed again, back to the demon. And it was like, oh, God, here we go again. No, please, you know. And he snatches my phone from me. And then he throws it and cracks the screen. And then, and my son, my 12-year-old, the two older sons were at their friend's house because they would not be around him. They would not be here if he was anywhere around, which he barely ever, ever came to my house. I mean, there was very rare occasion he would ever come here. But this time he was, because my ex-husband had finally officially moved out, he was refusing to leave. Well... In the state that I live in, there's a lovely little law, and this law says that if someone has lived in your house for three or more weeks, they are an official legal tenant of that house, and in order to get them out, you have to go down to the courthouse and pay $400 to file an official eviction, which takes 30 to 60 days. Is that crazy or what?
0: That's crazy.
1: Yeah, stupidest law I've ever heard. So, I did not know this at the time. And so I was trying my hardest to, uh, you know, I was going to sneak and call the police. But, of course, he threw my phone and cracked it. Well, then my uh, one of my sons had come home from his friend's house, and he heard us arguing on the porch. And then I guess my 12-year-old son kind of gave him the look like, yeah, uh, he's not leaving or whatever. And um, so luckily my son snuck off to the garage with his phone and called the police, um, unbeknownst to the narcissist. He did not see that happening. So when the police pulled up, I, uh, my son alerted me that they were out front, and the narcissist was on the back porch, uh, still angry. And my son said, oh, someone's at the door. So I got up to go talk to them. And I was terrified. I was in my state of, I was trembling. I couldn't get the words out fast enough. I was so terrified that he would realize and think that I called the police. And once again, the police treated me so mean. They treated me like I was crazy. They said, ma'am, we can't even understand what you're saying. You need to calm down and speak. And I said, well, I'm not calm. I'm very terrified. I really need your help. Please, he doesn't even know you're here. Please, uh, just can you just make him leave? So they were being really mean to me, and they said, well, ma'am, just stay right here. We'll go talk to him separate from you. So once again, he brilliantly spins a tale to the police. He tells them that he lives here and that this is, you know, his residence. And they said, well, is this, they came back to me and said, well, he's saying he lived here, ma'am, and you have no right to put him out. And I said, officer, he came to spend one night and he will not leave. And it's been three days going on four. And he said, oh, well, he told us that he has all his stuff here to prove that he lives here. Is this true, ma'am? And remember the two big hefty bags of laundry that was enough proof that they believed him that he lived here and so I was in college at the time, and I was taking classes at the college and um I told them I said, I have to do something so the next day when the kids went to their dad's and I had a college class and he went down to the class. They, they didn't make him leave. So then, cause he lied to them. So then the next day I went to college and he insisted on going with me. And it was an, I also had a night class. So I was there like all day. And then I had a night class and he literally would like, paced back and forth outside my classroom. It was really annoying. He would peek through the window of the class just to see what I was doing and, and hold on to my van keys while I was in the class. And this particular time, he forgot to take my phone, and I was in the class, and I literally, he kept peeking through the window of the classroom. I literally, and this was so humiliating, and everyone must have thought I was crazy, I had to duck down under the desk and call the police and whisper to them to please come. And uh, cause he was agitated that day. I forgot there was some other argument and I was just really scared and I was trying to get my van keys back. And I told the police he has my keys. He won't give them back. That's grounds to call the police. And so when he saw the police approaching, um, and, of course, the people in my class were looking at me like I'm crazy or weird. It was just very humiliating. And when he saw the police approaching, he threw my keys, which had my house key, my van keys, and my um, my alarm thing for my van. He threw it down into a gutter thing to where it would never be found again. And then he grabbed someone's bike and took off on the, the bike. And so the police didn't catch him. They didn't catch up with him. He just took off as soon as he saw the cop car. And so I didn't have my keys, so I was stranded there at the college at night. And now the college is 20 miles from my house, and this was nighttime. And the police told me and I told them the story of how, you know, he lied and said that he lived and they said, well, what you need to do is go over to the sheriff's station and you need to file an emergency restraining order. That's the only way to get him out of your house. And they will remove him from your house immediately. And that's the only thing you can do. So you're going to have to go down to the sheriff's station and fill out a whole big form and a report and all that. So I had to call someone to somehow get a spare pair of my keys from out of my house. Anyway. I got so they brought me the keys. It was getting late. I went to the sheriff. I filed the papers. They granted the restraining order. And the deputy said that they would meet me uh oh and he was texting my phone saying, "Yeah, I'm in your house." He had ridden his bike 20 miles back to my house while I was taking care of trying to get my van keys and go into the sheriff. He was waiting in my bedroom in my house. He had, I guess, broken through the back door. And so the deputy met me at my house finally, and this was like, by this time it was like 1130 at night. And he served him, and he tried to tell the deputy, oh, I live here. And he started with his bawling and crying and saying, I have nowhere to go. And I said, sir, he has his own place. He, he has a place to live. He's just telling you that, and he only brought these bags here because he asked to do his laundry. And so they made him leave, and he said, oh, I'm going to kill myself. He said, take me to the the mental institution. I'm going to kill myself. And so he said, is that where you need to go, sir? And he said, yes, yes, take me. Take me to the mental institution. And that's where they do like a three-day Baker Act if someone's suicidal. Mm Mm-hmm. Now, I don't know why he said that to the police or why he chose to go there. So he went, and he left his bags and his cell phone, and then he went to the mental institution for three days. And when he was there, I looked in his phone, and I found out that whenever he would accompany me to the college as he often did, just to make sure I wasn't talking to anyone. While I was like, if I had a two-hour class, I looked on his phone, he was posting ads on Craigslist, gay ads, and he would be meeting up with gay men and having sex with them for money while I was in my college class. And I was just, I couldn't, I was just like, oh my Gosh, you know, I was blown away, <laughs> and I was just like, I, I just, I, I was in shock. I didn't know what to think, you know. And then uh, when he came out of the mental institution, I had to bring him his things. He was blowing up my phone from another phone and telling me he needs his stuff, and he was crying, and he was saying how they gave him medication for his anger issues and that he really wants to make a change. And I told him what I found and all this. So basically, I broke up with him for a couple months. And I was just like, and he was the whole time crying to me and saying, you don't understand. I only did that two times. It's because of the trauma that I went through in my childhood and he said i just felt like you didn't love me anymore and i was just looking for attention from anyone who would give me attention and i'm so so sorry and we'll go together and we'll get tested for stds and we'll make a fresh start and i'm so so sorry and, and he was just crying and saying i'm going to i'm going to make a change and i'm going to stop smoking and i'm going to take my medication and all this for anger. And so after a couple months of him begging and hoovering, I finally agreed. Um, He called me up one day and said, oh, I got a bonus at work. I got $1,000, and I just want to take you and the kids somewhere so awesome to, like, Disney World. He said, I really want us to just He said, we can just even just be friends. Let's just take the kids and just have an awesome, awesome day. He said, I'll pay for everything. I said, well, I I really just, I don't want to go to Disney World and all that. It's just, I'm still exhausted from all the drama. And he's like, well, we'll go, we'll go to the beach and we'll cook out. We'll grill. We'll spend the whole day. The kids can swim and we'll just have a wonderful time. No pressure. We don't. You don't have to spend the night. You can drive. I'll let you hold on to your keys. He said, look, I'm on my medication. He said, I'm really trying to make a change. I miss your kids. I miss you. He's like, let's just go have a wonderful day. Please, let's just... So stupid, stupid idiot me. Once again, I give him another chance. I know, I know. I'm the biggest idiot ever. And so... I We went to go and swim and barbecue all day, and my body was screaming at me to get away from this person like I was having nausea. I started at this point, At this was like a year and a half into it almost, and at this point, and mind you, on average, we only saw each other like once a week at this point for for many months, like, so I was trying to also slowly distance myself, especially now that I lived alone, and I didn't have, you know, there was no one else in the house, so I had to be very careful. So I would start getting migraine headaches, which I never really had a problem with prior. Um, I started getting them quite frequently, only when I would be around him, and I mean, they would be so bad that I couldn't move. I'd be throwing up from the pain of the headache. And um, so that day we were out swimming and cooking and I just started getting one of these terrible migraines. It was really horrible and I was getting nauseous. And so I wanted to go home And, of course, he started getting a little sketchy, so he said, no, you need to go to the emergency room. If you're in as much pain as you stay, we'll take you to the emergency room. So he, you know, we went, and anyway, long story short, there were several breakups and times that I called the cops. Uh, Some were worse than others um, until... I slowly was distancing myself from him. Like in the last, I'd say, eight months of the two years that we were dating, the last eight months, I was really starting to get more and more distant. And the only thing that was allowing me to get more distant is because he was too. Like he was still hoovering, but not as intensely. He was still love bombing, but not as intensely. He wasn't as jealous. And so I kind of suspected there was someone else, you know, but honestly, I kind of didn't care that much because I was really just trying to distance myself to the point where it was done and I didn't know how to do it because if I did it abruptly, then he would go into his rages. You know, if I was just to say, okay, I'm done with you, we're breaking up for good, you know, I can't do this anymore. Then he would just start stalking and threatening and threatening to burn my house down and he would just go into one of his rages and threaten suicide and the whole thing. So how I was doing it was to just slowly distance myself from him and it was starting to work. Now, one, I will say one time when I, it was during the time when we were, you know, kind of things were starting to get more distant but we were seeing each other like "Mm," about once every 10 days or something. So I was glad that it was getting more distant. And then he asked me to come over um, to hang out with him and his friend uh, one afternoon and that maybe we would barbecue or something. And I didn't have the kids, so I was like, yeah, okay. So I went over, and he had got us a six-pack of Bud Light. Now, I'm old enough to know my alcohol tolerance, and I had literally drinking two cans of Bud Light, and that normally, you know, I'll get buzzed from that, not like drunk off of two Bud Light. So I had drinking two Bud Light, and then and him and his friend were drinking, and then he says, "The oh, here, have another one. And then I had gotten up to go to the bathroom, and so when I came back from the bathroom, I noticed he was saying, you only had two beers? Go on, drink your third one. Come on, get to drinking, get to drinking. I noticed he was really preoccupied with hurrying me to start drinking my third beer. And normally, he doesn't say that. He just, whatever, I'll drink one or two beers and whatever. And so I'm like, okay. So I took a few drinks of it. And after a few drinks of that third beer, I started to feel not so good all of a sudden. And I said, you know what, I'm going to, I got to go to the bathroom. I'll be right back. And so when I um, went out and I got so dizzy when I, after I used the bathroom, I went and sat on the back steps because I suddenly was just overcome by dizziness and nausea just so suddenly. And it was getting dark, and I was sitting on the back steps, and it had been raining, so the ground was, like, muddy. And I was feeling so dizzy all of a sudden that I couldn't keep sitting up. And all of a sudden, I just had to lay down, and I had to lay down in the mud. Like, this is how all of a sudden it hit me. I couldn't even sit up, and, like, it looked like the ground was tilted. And so I had to lay down, and I was just laying on the wet, muddy ground, and, like, I didn't have the strength to get up. And I was like, wow, what is wrong with me? I felt like I was going to die or something. And then he... Like, maybe, I don't know, five minutes later, he came to check on me and see what was taking me so long. And he's like, what are you doing? What are you doing laying in the dirt? What are you doing? And he's like, get up. Get off the ground. And I'm like, I can't get up. I don't have any strength. And he was, like, trying to get me up. And I literally, I couldn't even walk. And he had to, like, put me, like, kind of over his shoulder and get me up. And then I said, I can't, I have no strength. It's like I felt like all my muscles were just, like, dead weight or something. And then he he put me in his bed, and I said, I think I'm going to throw up. I'm feeling so dizzy and sick. And he brings me this old bucket, and I start throwing up, and he starts videotaping me on his phone and he's like videotaping this whole thing of me throwing up and I'm like why are you doing that I'm so sick I'm like please turn that off and so then he went and sent his friend home and then he came and you know he just had sex with me and I'm just laying there like I have no strength to move or anything and I'm so sick and dizzy And this is literally after two cans of Bud Light, I'm sorry, but I'm old enough to know my beer tolerance and that there was something wrong. And so that went on for the whole night that he was just having sex with me and I wasn't passed out. I was still conscious and I don't know what he must have put in my drink But he didn't let me leave the next day, so it's not like I could go to the hospital and find out and take a blood test or whatever to see what was in my system. I have no idea to this day. And so when I got back home a couple days later uh, after the weekend, I called him and got really mad at him, and I said, you put something in my drink. And he's like, he just starts turning it around on me. He's like, no, you're just a sloppy drunk. You just can't handle your alcohol. I said, I literally had two beers. And, of course, he just denied the whole thing, and I had no proof. And But I know, I know. And it ha- he had to have put something in my drink, and I don't know what it was. But, like, I couldn't hardly at all move for the whole rest of the night. Like, my muscles felt like a dead weight. And I was so dizzy and, like, everything looked tilted. So I know there was something he put in there, and I don't know what it was. But the way... And then I thought back how he was, like, rushing me to drink my third beer after I had walked away to the bathroom. And then he had it open and waiting for me when I got back. So... I continued to distance myself from him more and more and more, and he was letting it happen. So I figured, and I was glad that maybe he was talking to someone else. As you know, with narcissists, they won't fully let go until they've secured a whole new supply for themselves. And so it was one day um, On my Instagram, all of a sudden, I got this random comment on one of my pictures, because my profile was public back then, and it said, oh, you're so beautiful. Um, He, his name, is so lucky to have you. And I'm like, what? And then all of a sudden, I get an inbox from this person, and he's, uh, oh, maybe about... 20 or 21 years old and he says uh, yeah I know him I know him very well let's just say I know him very very well and I instantly knew what he was getting at and I said what are you trying to tell me and he said look I'm sorry but we've been having an affair for a whole year now And, um, anyway, long story short, this young man was head over heels in love with him and had been paying all his bills that time when he got $1,000 and said he got a bonus at work and wanted to take me and the kids to Disney world. This young man had given him the money. This young man was now in the role that I was. He was paying all his bills. He was buying his clothes, buying his groceries, and because he and I had only been seeing each other maybe once every week, maybe once every week and a half, the reason he was allowing me to distance myself is because he had a new supply that was giving him even more money than I ever did. And so he had been seeing this young man and using him for everything and being abusive to him as well. So I ended up, you know, I had a conversation with this young man and, uh, and this man was already hooked in to the whole way that I had been previously. And I hate to say that it was kind of a blessing because it allowed me to get away from him. It allowed me to fully just detach and get away from him completely completely. Um, but I, I mean, I feel sorry for the young man, but at the same time, the young man knew that, uh, he was dating me and that he had been dating me for a couple of years. He knew about me, but I didn't know about him. So I confronted him and that's when things officially ended. We were, I had already been distancing myself, like I said, for quite some months. Um, but at this point. I kind of used that to just tell him, "Okay, well you are clearly in this gay relationship, you know. I, you know, I'm ready to move on." And he he did rage, but he was already so caught up with the young man that he wasn't as like vengeful and stalking how he used to be. And so he, At that point, I had started to been studying about narcissistic and psychopathic behavior. And they all said the same thing. You have to completely go no contact. I had never heard that concept, and I never knew about it. And and so I just went completely no contact. And it really worked. Like, he would blow me up for mm, two, three weeks. And then he had to find new supply, so he had to keep going out. And so, needless to say, it's been six years now. He has tried to contact me a few times during that time, I think, just to see if I would respond or if I'd still be available. And I just totally ghosted him. I just completely, you know blocked him on everything, and changed my phone number. And what's really sad is that he's been through a whole string of relationships. I know this just through mutual people that we know. And he has five daughters now, five daughters in the space of six years. And I feel so bad for those children because, and the women, I I can't even imagine why why someone like him would ha- would be blessed with children. And it's, but, you know, there's nothing I can do. And I can't warn these women because I already know he's got the game down pat. He'll make me look crazy. You know, they are probably whatever woman he ever is involved with, they'll be all caught up the way I was. He just keeps going through people one after the other, just using people. And uh, so I've done, as far as the healing phase of it, I couldn't afford counseling or anything, so I kind of turned spiritually inward. Um, I had to take a step back and look at my own inner issues, my own inner wounded child. I had to do years of inner child healing work on myself and that's work that you can only do yourself and through prayer and meditation and through bringing up childhood wounds and addressing them and loving the inner child that is inside of you that is still hurting that allows people to um, cross your boundaries like that. The one that's dying for love at, at any cost. The one that You know, the child that just wants to be seen and heard, the child that just wants to be loved, that wants, you know, um, that wants to believe everyone's good. You know, those are injuries from childhood and no woman is ever going to be able to move on and have healthy relationships until these women that put up with this, they have to learn to heal their inner child wounds, to love their inner child and to have healthy boundaries and until you do that these types are always going to be drawn to you you know and you're always going to let them cross your boundaries and so I've just been doing inner healing work for years now like I don't really I have no social life I don't date you know I don't go on social media talking to guys nothing I really just have had to take a long look at why my whole life I've been swarmed with narcissists. Now, he was the most extreme, but I look back at all my friendships, even, you know, like my dad and even um my other relationships I was in, and even acquaintances and neighbors and people that try to be friends, they all are preying on my, kind of, um, because I'm so empathic and so uh, people-pleasing and so uh, trusting and always seeing the good in people. And so I've really had to do a big reality check and reframe my entire view of humanity. Like, these types are more common than you think, and they're drawn to very kind-hearted, soft-hearted people. And so that's been how I've been trying to do my healing over this. And still, I do still have panic attacks. I do still have chronic fatigue, which I've had to change my diet and I've had to really change my lifestyle. Um, You know, I, I can't have stress in my life. I have to have a very, very tranquil, very calm, peaceful surroundings, you know, I just try to get outdoors and do gardening, you know, I have cats, (laughs) I listen to relaxing music, I meditate, I take care of myself and I'm kind of just in my own bubble and honestly, I'm afraid to just even join groups and meet new friends because I know the type that I attract and I don't know if I'm going to have to be a hermit for the rest of my life. You know, so, but yeah, the women out here, no one understands what they're going through. Like, there's no way anyone can understand. Like, they will call the woman crazy. They'll say, you know, oh, you could have just left any time. You know, why do you keep talking to them again?
0: Well, the the thing I want to, uh, sorry for interrupting, but I just wanted to say right here, you know, With you and your story, your story is a perfect example for people who are listening to this. Because we do get people who listen to our podcast who have never experienced this stuff before. And your story is a perfect example for anyone listening as to why someone stays. And you did a very good job of explaining why you stayed and all the hooks that were in there. And um, you just did a wonderful job. And I know it was very hard to tell your story and we had to take a break. And that you you know you did have a panic attack during it, and you know uh, you soldiered through that. And I want to thank you for that for, for doing that because um, this was a really important story to tell because you did a really good job of, of doing it. And I also wanted you to know that you did nothing wrong. You know, you, you always say you said you know you're gullible and you know use those words a lot. But as I as I say to everyone, you you know you uh, found the perfect match as far as what was wrong uh the opposite of you what was wrong and this person uh took advantage of all of these great things about you and uh you were you bought in hook line and stinker, and there was a reason for that and you pointed out all of the reasons for why that happened and it wasn't your fault you you were a victim of a con man of a, a con person and they ran the con and they knew how to get you and you know you went back and you did a great job of explaining why you went back and the reasons everything that was there so you weren't gullible you were just you know in that cycle and it's nothing to be ashamed about and you know it, you know you did nothing wrong um and i and i just hope that you know the one thing for you is that you get to repair you know the relationship with your kids uh going yes. forward and um that being the the biggest thing and i wish nothing but the best for you and i hope that um you join our little support group that we have uh online um and uh I'll, 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 we'll talk about it after and uh because i think you'd fit in really well there and uh you know we have a good crew of people that hang out with us on on wednesdays and saturdays so Um, We'll talk about that after, but um, if you have any last words for anyone who's listening, uh, advice or wisdom, what would you have to say to them?
1: I would say to anyone who has a friend or a family member going through a similar situation where you know that there's abuse or they're being controlled or isolated, please don't think that they're crazy. Don't dismiss them. Don't, Ghost them and drop out of their life because that's when they need you more than ever. Like, even for you to just listen to what they're going through. Because I, right now, no one that was in my life is speaking to me anymore except for my children. No one. No one. Not my family. Not any old friend that I had since we were teenagers. No one. Speaks to me after all these years even after everything was over and I healed they all dropped out of my life permanently just because of that just because of that and so please don't do that to your loved ones that's a horrible thing to do and it's very hard hearted you must have a little compassion and try to understand and put yourself in their shoes and be supportive even if they go back it's because there's dynamics to it that are way too hard for them to even Even the person doesn't understand in the moment really fully so and women need to have better boundaries and the only way to do that is to do your inner healing work and learn to love yourself more than everything you know and have healthy boundaries and that takes years of work Otherwise, these patterns can continue, you know. Some women are in it for many, many, many years.
0: Well, Hazel, I want to thank you for being on the show today from the bottom of my heart. You did a a wonderful job. And, you you know, you uh, didn't have to continue and you did. So thank you for, for doing that and uh, everyone who's listening is going to benefit from hearing your story. So from the bottom of my heart, thank you so much for being here today.
1: Thank you. And um, should I look online about the support group?
0: Uh, I'll uh, talk to you right when I press uh, the record button, when I turn it off. But it's okay. uh, it's part of our Patreon, but we'll discuss it after, right when we get off. Everyone, join our Patreon. Um, and so for me... And Hazel, um, you know, thanks for listening and I hope you have a good night.